Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me in the Betters Box. This is ATS.io's MLB betting podcast for Monday, July 12th. I'm your host, Adam Burke. Got a preview up for the Home Run Derby over at ATS.io for you to check out. That is the only game in town tonight. Bunch of tennis going on, but soccer's over. NBA Finals off until Wednesday. So a lot of people looking at the Home Run Derby in Colorado tonight. I'll be talking about it here on today's show, but you can also read that article over at ATS.io. We'll be back with ATS Radio on Tuesday, tomorrow's show, chatting about the Open Championship with Brian Blessing. We'll talk golf. We'll talk a little bit about hockey as well. Uh, NHL draft coming up. You've got the expansion draft coming up. All kinds of things there that we can discuss a little bit on tomorrow's show. The Daily Article will be back on probably Friday, I would say. I don't know if I'll have a play for Thursday's game between the Red Sox and the Yankees. I will write a preview over at ATS.io for that game, but I probably won't do the daily article uh, for that one, just that one standalone game. So that'll be back here on Friday. But in the meantime, over the weekend, late last week, been working on my college football power ratings. So should be able to write something up with that, maybe take a look at some season win total stuff, things of that sort, trying to get some college football and some NFL content rolling here as those seasons are rapidly approaching. We're probably, what, maybe three weeks or so from, uh, maybe not even three weeks, maybe two weeks or so from teams showing up for training camp, going through all their physicals and all that kind of thing. So uh, definitely going to be really, really interesting uh, to play catch up with the NFL and college football. NFL, of course, adding an extra game this year. So that kind of throws everything off with win totals and all that kind of thing. So trying to play catch up with football, been doing so much with baseball and all the other sports I cover over at ATS.io, so hopefully using these four days to catch up on the gridiron. But speaking of that other content, I'll have an open championship preview later on today. I covered NASCAR and UFC over at ATS.io as well, so I'll have previews up for those events coming up here this weekend. So lots of stuff happening, to say the least, here at this time of the year. And I will be doing the betters box again on Thursday Waiting on adjusted season win total lines. I really like to take a look at these at the All-Star break, kind of look at teams that have overachieved or underachieved and all of that. So hoping that those are out by Thursday's show. I don't know why they wouldn't be, but I should have at least a couple of plays with that once we get those adjusted season win total lines posted somewhere in the marketplace. Even if they're not at one of the U.S. sports books, hopefully they will be. Uh, But I'll try to talk about those on the show no matter what here uh, for Thursday. But as far as today goes, let's go ahead and start with a breakdown of the home run derby coming up here tonight at Coors Field in Denver, Colorado. Remember, the All-Star game was supposed to be in Atlanta this year, got moved for political reasons. Uh, You know, a lot of people have had thoughts and opinions about that. I'm not going to have any here on today's show. But one thing that is really interesting here is with the game in Denver now, we get this home run derby at Coors Field. And we had one in the past. And things are going to be different here this time around. But there are a few really interesting things I wanted to touch on before I look specifically at the players, the matchups, and the odds that are out there uh, to win this thing. First and foremost, they are not using the humidor for tonight's home run derby. So the balls are being stored as they would regularly be stored in ballparks across the country. And the humidor was put in there in Colorado to kind of curtail offense a little bit, to kind of level the playing field, make the ball a little bit heavier by being stored in that, you know, environment with a little bit of moisture. Well, without that, 
the ball will fly tonight. And it's going to be pretty warm in Denver today as well. Chance of thunderstorms throughout the day. I think I saw temperatures in the 90s. The ball should carry really, really well. So we've got things like total number of home runs. I saw as low as 224 and a half at DraftKings. Look, there were 312 home runs hit in the home run derby in Cleveland two years ago, back in 2019, with this same format. Several years ago, 2015, they broke away from outs and went to a timed round. Now, the timing of the rounds has changed a little bit over the years, but what we saw in 2019 is the format that we will see tonight. The only difference is that in 2019, if you hit two homers in a round of 440 or better, you got a bonus 30 seconds. This year, you get a bonus 30 seconds if you hit one home run of 475 or more feet. So guys will have to really poke one to get that extra bonus time. But I think with the way that the ball should be carrying tonight in Denver without the humidor and with the warm conditions, we should see just about everybody get there. So 312 home runs two years ago in Cleveland. And even if you take away that epic round between Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Jock Peterson, where they had three different one-minute swing-offs, wound up hitting 79 total home runs, even if you take that round out of the equation, that one still went over 224.5. That was 233 home runs if you take away that round. So I think the total home run number is entirely too low tonight. You've got eight guys that should all get probably the full bonus time, I think, from the first round. Maybe Salvador Perez or Trey Mancini don't get it, uh, but I think at least six of the eight guys should get that extra 30 seconds. And in bonus time, when you hit a ball in the air, the clock doesn't run. So that means you get your full 30 seconds, at least based on the timekeeper and all of that. With your regular round timing, however long it takes the ball to land, you lose that much time. But in the bonus round, you don't lose it. So I think 224 and a half, 229 and a half, the other numbers I've seen out there are too low for this thing. I think that they definitely are. When you talk about you know the four first round matchups, the two second round matchups, and then the final round matchup, you're going to get probably an average of, I would say, you know, anywhere between 35 and 40 home runs across those eight rounds. And so I, I think that that's more than enough here for us to get over the total for this one. So I do like over, and I've also seen varying numbers for the longest home run in the home run derby. And we saw, you know, I've seen five, somebody on Twitter mentioned to me 509 and a half. I've seen 518 and a half. I've seen 519 and a half. Without the humidor, I think there's a really good chance of this coming through because the longest home run in a home run derby in the StatCast era was 513 feet. That was Aaron Judge at Marlins Park in 2017. And Marlins Park, first of all, not a great hitter's park. But also, you know, you don't have the humidor here. And as I mentioned, this is the only show in town tonight. The NBA Finals are off until Wednesday. The Euros are over. The Gold Cup isn't going on tonight. It's just daytime tennis, pretty much. So with this being the only game in town, this has to be a spotlight signature event for Major League Baseball. You know, it's the summertime. You don't have a lot of new shows on or anything like that. This has to be a spotlight event for them. So not only have they made that decision to not store the balls in the humidor, but also I wouldn't be surprised if some of the old balls worked their way into the rotation here. So 
I think over for the longest home run is also a very strong possibility. Uh, you got some guys with some very high barrel rates here, some big, long left-handed swings. I think we get there. I think we get into that 525 range. If this thing gets bet up, and I presume that it probably will, knowing that it's course Field and knowing that there's no humidor, then my guess would be that it's going to go up. And if it goes up, that's when I think you start to be pretty careful. If the VIG goes up too high or if they change the actual over-under distance, that's where you probably want to take a second look. If it goes up to you know 525 and a half or something like that, that's where I'd be a little bit more leery, just simply because there's only so far you can actually hit a baseball. I do think that we get there. I think it certainly goes over the, the low five teens. But, you know, again, uh, square plays, I guess. But, look, I mean, I, I put a lot of thought into this process here this morning writing this article. And while I did that, while I did a deep dive and while I nerded out, as I always do, keep in mind, this is a fun event. I mean, don't go overboard betting a ton of money on these props or anything like that. As I said, I think there's a method to the madness, and I do think that we get over the number of home runs and over the longest distance. But you know, if you're picking players or matchups or whatever else, you know, be responsible with your bet sizing tonight, boys and girls. Uh, look, we've got a lot of sports left throughout the calendar year. You don't want to go overboard with something like this. So just you know, kind of be responsible with the bets that you're making here. But along with the things I already talked about, no humidor and and some of that other stuff, one thing that is a bit of a concern, and one thing that I think if you're live betting the Derby, you can kind of look for here, I think the altitude will be a factor in a lot of ways tonight, not only with the carry on the baseball and the show that these guys will put on, but also being in the home run Derby is very tiring. You know, I mean, you, some guys will change their swing paths a little bit, try to generate a little more lift. That's going to kind of create a little bit more torque on the lower body and on the back end and create a little bit more torque on the shoulders, all that kind of thing. And for anybody that's ever gone out to Denver and doesn't live there or gone anywhere in altitude and doesn't live there, you do feel it, you know? So I think these guys will get tired. They will take lots of swings. I think the timing of the timeouts will be really, really important. I frankly would have liked to have seen them add another 30 second timeout with the elevation in play. But you you just think about these guys, how long do they sit around? How do they stay loose? You know, if you're, I I don't know if they're starting with the one versus eight. I don't know exactly what the schedule is, but if you're Shohei Otani and and you win your first round matchup and and he will over Juan Soto, I think, do you not hit again for like an hour and a half? I mean, how, how do you stay loose? You know, how do you stay ready to go? I don't know. So I think that's something that we really want to take a look at here tonight is, How guys stay loose. You know, you would think that more recovery time is a good thing, but also at the same time, maybe being in rhythm and in repetition is is better. So I don't know, but the altitude brings in a lot of factors here uh, to this tournament, to say the least. So those are things that you want to keep an eye on, especially if a guy looks to be laboring, you know, late in his round, something like that, where he advances, but doesn't exactly look to be at his best, you know, in that round. Maybe that's something you want to consider there as well. So as far as the matchups, the, the ones that we know of here so far in the first round, Shohei Otani, a big favorite over Juan Soto in the minus 225 range. Otani should win this easily. You know, Juan Soto, when I broke him down for the article, he's just not hitting lots of fly balls this year, a low barrel percentage. Otani leads Major League Baseball in barrel percentage. And obviously you 
you know, it's, it's a difficult line to walk digging too deep into the stats because ultimately this is batting practice. You know, I mean, it's, it's not game conditions, but you still want guys that have a feel for the barrel are going to make the best possible contact every single time because wasted energy on those swings where the ball doesn't go anywhere will be a problem. So you want to find guys that do hit lots of fly balls naturally, do barrel the baseball, have a good launch angle, guys that are not going to waste their swings, waste time having to wait for the kids to field the ball in the outfield and, you know, all that kind of thing. So that's where I do think that Otani has a big advantage over Juan Soto tonight, where Soto is just not hitting a lot of fly balls this season, not hitting a lot of barrels. Otani should win pretty easily in the first round. Pete Alonso, who is the reigning champion, is in the minus 210 range against Salvador Perez tonight. And I'm generally not a big Salvador Perez guy as an overall player. I don't love the offensive profile, and, and I think he's overrated defensively. But in this matchup here against Alonso, I think Perez is kind of a live dog here in this one. He's got subtle power. It's line drive power, I think. The thing that keeps me from picking the upset here is that over the weekend, specifically on Saturday, Salvador Perez was scratched from the Indians game, or actually, no, he was taken out of the game, excuse me, uh, with a bad back. So that's not really a great thing going into the home run derby. They have not replaced him yet, so he must be okay. But you know, certainly some worry about that. And something else that leads me towards Alonso, and I do think he wins, but I think the price is a little bit high on him. He's the only repeat contestant in this field. And when you watch the home run derby, Guys talk about it all the time. There are nerves. You know, it's a very difficult thing to do. Hitting BP, you know, before a game is one thing. Hitting BP where you have these expectations is another. And to that end, it's also full of expectations for the pitcher. You know, it's hard for the pitcher to keep putting it where the hitter wants it to be consistently throwing strikes, not wasting time on that clock. So Alonso here, I think, has a couple of advantages in that regard. I think experience helps for both the body and the mind, both the physical side and the mental side. So I think Alonso does win. I don't think it will be as easy as the line suggests, but I do think Alonso will win. And I think what will be interesting to see here is how far does Alonso have to go in the first round? Because if you're hitting second and you wind up hitting more home runs than your opponent, you can stop. No matter how much time is left on the clock, you can stop. So that's the thing I kind of look at here. You know, with Otani, for example, you know, he'll hit second, I think. I think the higher seed hits second, so they know what they have to do. Well, if Soto comes out and hits 12 home runs, I mean, Otani can hit 13 in two minutes, two and a half minutes, and not have to worry about the other minute and a half. So that's something that could be a factor here uh, in this Alonso and Perez matchup, where if Perez doesn't perform well, Alonso will kind of, you know, be able to take it easy heading on into the second round. And that could be something that ultimately helps him down the line, being able to save some of those swings. I think the best first-round matchup here is Joey Gallo and Trevor Story. And Gallo favored in the minus 180, minus 185 range. Look, Gallo has prolific power. I think if you if you look for a prop of the longest home run, I think Gallo's got a real good shot at it. He hits majestic tanks. But he's taking on Trevor Story here. And Trevor's story has the unique advantage of knowing the elevation, knowing the ballpark, knowing the batter's eye, which I think is something that's kind of underrated in these tournaments here. So 
Story has some advantages in this one. I think there's upset potential in this matchup. And that's difficult to say because Gallo has been on a tear since the start of June. And we all know how much power he has. But statistically, these two guys are really not that far apart. They both hit a lot of fly balls, good launch angles, high pull percentage for Story. So he's going to hit the ball to places where he can hit it out. I think Trevor Story in an upset over Joey Gallo, probably the only first round upset that I really like here for this year's Derby. So if you find uh, Story in that plus 150, 155, 160 range, something like that, I do think that Trevor Story has a very good chance. And by the way, the park factor for home run hitting does lean ever so slightly to right-handed batters. So we got two matchups here with a righty against a lefty. One of them is this Story and Gallo matchup. So I like Story a little bit for the upset in this one, familiarity with the elevation, uh, you know, kind of knowing when to pick his spots, all that kind of thing. I think Story could be a really interesting pick here tonight, not just for the first round, but maybe to win this thing uh, as well. But again, a lot more pressure on him too, being in that home ballpark there. I think the best first round matchup here, at least from a betting standpoint, is Matt Olson and Trey Mancini. I guess a really good matchup for Matt Olson here. Trey Mancini is a phenomenal story. You know, coming back from colon cancer, I'm rooting for the guy like crazy. I hope he has a good showing tonight. But Mancini's not really a home run hitter. He's more of a gap to gap, line drive kind of guy. And Look, I mean, he makes a lot of quality contact, and, and maybe that allows him to overachieve, overperform a little bit in this tournament. But I think Matt Olson just has a great matchup here. Matt Olson pulls the ball in the air a ton. I think this is a great ballpark, a great setup for him. It is his first time in it, but it's not like he's coming out there with a ton of expectations, you know, like, uh, like you know, Tani or somebody like that. So not only do I like Matt Olson in the first round here over Trey Mancini, Matt Olson is also my pick here. In that five to one plus five fifty range, I would wait on this one because I think guys like Story will come down throughout the day. Otani and Gallo will both take a lot of money. Olson at the right kind of sports book probably goes up to 600, 650, something like that. I would kind of wait around on Matt Olson here because I think there's an opportunity to get a better price on him as we get closer to this derby. So a lot of fun tonight. I enjoy watching this. It kind of takes me back to being a kid. You know, baseball is is a big part of my career now. You know, it's it's a very serious business for me. Not so much tonight. Tonight I can just kind of have fun, drink a few beers, watch the derby, have some fun with it. So, you know, I, I really do like tonight. Uh, it's it's one of my favorite things of the baseball season. Also, I like the all-star break. I mean, typically I'm on vacation, so I usually don't really watch the home run derby. I kind of plan my vacations around, you know, the four days with no baseball not doing that this year. I'm stuck at home. So, you know, uh, probably watch the Derby tonight, have some fun with it. And I hope that everybody has some fun with it as well. As far as the all-star game goes tomorrow night, I couldn't care less. I I will not be watching the all-star game tomorrow night. Uh, I will be doing whatever else. I just, I, the all-star game just doesn't impress me. I'm just not a fan of it. I I don't really care. Uh, I like the Derby. Don't really care too much for the all-star game. So I'll write a preview of it for ATS.io in the morning, but uh, that'll be about it for me with that. Uh, By the way, skatingtripods at gmail.com if you want to get on the list here for the Better's Box show notes. All right, I'm going to run through just some crazy random stats, some things to kind of plant in your mind a little bit before we get to Thursday's show and I take a look, hopefully, at those adjusted season win total numbers. 
a lot of stuff here on a few teams that really stand out in a variety of ways. One of them being the Seattle Mariners. The Seattle Mariners are 19 and eight in one run games. They are 10 and one in extra innings. They're 29 and 20 at home, but they've been outscored by seven runs at home this season. So the Mariners who are 30th in weighted on base average with the bases empty at 271 and have a 234 batting average on balls in play in that split are sixth in weighted on base average with men in scoring position at 345 with a 333 batting average on balls in play. So the Mariners have all kinds of regression signs in their profile. I told you last week that I'm going to bet their adjusted season win total under. Um, I'm going to get rich or die trying fading the Mariners in the second half. There's just not a lot to like about this team uh, from a statistical standpoint. And yeah, I mean, they'll probably call some guys up. I mean, you know, uh, Kalanick will be back. Uh, Rodriguez will be up, you know, all that kind of thing. But this is just, this is just not a very good team. They're a significant overachiever. They remind me a lot of the 2016 Texas Rangers who were a massive overachiever. The Rangers that year, I think went 95 and 67 with a Pythagorean win loss of 80 and 82. Uh, They're just, the the Mariners are not a good team. Uh, Their record is all smoke and mirrors. I will be looking to fade them quite a bit here, especially on the road in the second half of the season. The Yankees, ninth in weighted on base average with the bases empty at 319, 26th in weighted on base average with men in scoring position at 298. So the Yankees, who we saw some life from offensively late in the first half there, you know, the winning the series over Houston, being in a position to sweep that series if they didn't have the blown save last or uh, yesterday, the Yankees started to show something. And I don't know if they will continue doing so after the break. But what I do know is that they've fallen on the wrong side of cluster luck in a very big way here. Sequencing has not been on their side. This is a better offense than what we've seen so far. So whether or not that comes to fruition in the second half, I don't know. But statistically, it will be something that I am looking for. A couple of interesting stats about the Orioles here, actually three of them. The Orioles have only played 14 games against a team with a losing record. They're five and nine in those games, by the way, but they've only played 14 games against a team with a losing record. So they have not played the bad teams in the AL central or the bad teams in the AL West very often. And obviously they're in a division where all four teams ahead of them have winning records, but they have not played, you know, teams on their level or closer to their level. Next closest is the Rangers with 22. The Brewers lead the league. They've played 61 games against a team with a losing record, which, you know, that happens. It kind of comes with the territory there in the NL Central. But here's a fascinating and phenomenal stat from my buddy at MLB Dream on Twitter. Make sure you follow him. He does a phenomenal job in the Major League Baseball market. He mentioned to me today that the Orioles have more wins against teams 500 or better than any team in the National League East. The Orioles are 23-52 and in that split against teams 500 or better. Mets are 16-15, and Braves 18-27, and Nationals 19-30, and Phillies 21-24, and and the Marlins 19-25. and Now, to be fair, the Orioles have played 75 games against teams 500 or better. The Mets have played 31, the Braves 45, Nationals 49, Phillies 45, Marlins 46, or 44, excuse me. But still, kind of a, 
a pretty fascinating stat there and, and really just speaks to how difficult of a season it has been for Baltimore because they just keep playing good teams. I mean, you know, when you play 76 games against division foes and all of them have winning records, uh, it's very, very challenging to say the least. So, you know, I gave some thought to the Orioles over before the season. I, I'm glad I wound up not doing that. But, uh, you know, this team, I mean, look, they're not good, but they, they've had a really rough road of it too. But I think it also, by the way, speaks to the fact that the National League East isn't very good either. You know, I, I talked about that last week when I did the Futures show on Monday. I don't think the Mets are that great. You know, the Braves with Ronald Acuna now, I mean, that you know, they're probably not going to go anywhere. Nationals maybe in the best position to kind of take advantage there. But, uh, you know, the, the East division is just not particularly good there in the National League. One other note about the Orioles that's pretty interesting. They are fifth in weighted on base average against left-handed pitching. They are 10 and 21 in games started by a lefty. So they've been productive against lefties, but still haven't won those games. And obviously a lot of that has to do with the fact that their pitching staff is just not very good at all. The twins are seventh in weighted on base average, but 11 and 20 against left-handed starters. Another case where the offense is pretty good. The bull or the, uh, the pitching staff, specifically the bullpen, not very good at all. So an interesting stat there about the twins. How about what about the Mets? How about this? In Mets home games, only an average total of 6.05 runs per game scored. Now, to be fair, 10 of the 16 seven-inning games that the Mets have played have been in Queens. So the Mets have already played eight doubleheaders this year. They've already played 16 of those seven-inning games. That will lower their scoring. That will also lower their, you know, their scoring against where their pitchers, you know, only have to pitch seven innings, but only 6.05 runs per game at City Field here so far. And again, the doubleheaders did have kind of an impact with that. On the road, 8.3 runs per game in their total uh, or for their totals on the road here. Their pitching staff has allowed less than two or fewer than 2.5 runs per game at home. They've allowed 4.5 on the road. So the Mets, I think, are 28 and 14 at home, something like that. Their pitching staff has been phenomenal at home. On the road, not so much. So maybe something to watch there with the Mets as we go throughout the rest of the second half here. One of the things I like to talk about on the show here, uh, teams with a lead after five innings. So basically teams winning the first five. Teams win the full game about 83% of the time when they have a lead after five innings. This season, it's 84.1% of the time. So I know that we all bitch and moan about the bullpens and the bullpen cost us this and all of that. Look, if that team's ahead after five innings, they're winning 84% of the time this season on average. There are some outliers, though, on both sides. The Diamondbacks are 22-10. and 10. That's a 688 winning percentage with a lead after five innings. That is the worst in Major League Baseball. The Orioles are 20-7. and seven. That's a 741 winning percentage. The Rockies, 28-8, 778. Tigers and Royals, both winning 75% of their games with a lead after five. The Tigers are 30 and 10. The Royals are 24 and eight. By the way, the Tigers have won the first five 40 times. That's a pretty impressive stat for them. The Twins are 23 and six with a lead after five, but they're 22 and 15 with a lead after four. So for whatever reason, the fifth inning kind of been a very tough one for them. And the team, I believe with the most losses with a lead after five innings, is the New York Yankees, who are 27 and 11, a 7 11 win percentage 
well below the league average of 841. So the Yankees have been in position to win some games, but have squandered them from the bullpen, which is weird because their bullpen actually has really good statistics as a team. But, you know, Chapman's been bad here lately. Green gave up the Altuve homer yesterday. Uh, they've got some some issues there. Uh, and, and again, you know, a big part of it, not paying attention to the details, not adding on when they get the chance and all of that. So we'll see if that changes in the second half. But, you know, I keep looking at the Yankees and seeing a lot of positive regression indicators. So maybe their adjusted season win total will be something I'll take a look at here. The Indians are 29-2 and two with a lead after five innings, which, by the way, they've only had a lead after five innings 31 times, which is not particularly good for them. That's a 935 win percentage. The Pirates, 23-3, and three, an 885 win percentage there. The Padres, 33-3, and three, 917. That's third behind the Cardinals, who are 33-2, 943. And the Nationals, 31-2, 939. So, like anything else, you look for some positive and negative regression with the big outliers, but the teams that don't win a lot of their games with a lead after five are not good teams. The Diamondbacks are bad. The Orioles are bad. The Rockies are, you know, they're a tale of two teams. The Royals are bad. The Twins are bad. So, that's the thing. You know, you've got to have a good bullpen to, to be a good Major League Baseball team. So just want to talk about some of those here on today's show. I think those are really interesting. I do think that the Cardinals and the Nationals will be a couple of teams that do regress in this department. So I'd kind of look for that in the second half. But like I said, you know, if, if you're going to bet a bad team and you're going to bet them on the full game, you have to have a certain level of trust in their bullpen to finish it off. And even though, you know, 70, 75, 78% of the time they're going to, you're going to remember that 20% or that 25%. So if you're going to bet full games with the bad teams, try to ensure that, you know, their bullpen is in as good of shape as it can possibly be because you may need them in the later parts of those games. And I'll talk more about this stuff on Thursday's show as well, especially when we get some adjusted season win totals kind of putting together my thoughts, sort of a profile of teams I want to bet from an adjusted season win total standpoint, uh, hopefully if we get those here for Thursday's show. Lastly, something else I wanted to talk about here real quickly and kind of uh, touch base on here is the Major League Baseball trade deadlines coming up on July 31st. And I think it's going to be a really tough year to sort of figure out what's going to happen because we've got the upcoming CBA negotiations. And I would presume that front offices around the league have an idea of what's going to take place. But, you know, one of the sticking points for the Players Association, and deservedly so, especially with all these players reaching the major leagues at such a young age now, is, you know, the years of team control. Will they take off a year of team control? And if they do, does it happen to existing players? Or is it only grandfathered in for, you know, new signees, the draft class, international free agency, guys that come over from Asia, stuff like that. We don't know. We, we really don't know how that's all going to play out. And I don't know to what degree of certainty front offices around the league know. So I don't know if we're going to see, you know, trades of prospects or anything like that. You know, do we see some high ceiling prospects get traded? Do we see a lot of teams shedding payroll costs? Because, you know, maybe – Maybe one of the trade-offs is, hey, we're going to take away a year of control, but we're also going to punish teams more on the luxury tax, you know, stuff like that. I don't know. So 
you also still have a lot of teams crying poor coming off the COVID season and all of that. So I think it's a really tough trade deadline to kind of figure out here. One thing that I do think will happen is that the reliever trade market will be very, very busy because we've got a pretty good idea right now of who's in the playoff picture. And and there are a lot of teams that just won't be. So what these contending teams are going to look to do, especially assuming that they're going to play, you know, maybe as many as five extra games in the playoffs, maybe as many as 12, something like that. Coming off of the shortened season, you worry about young starters. You worry about relievers going from, you know, 80 appearances in 2019 to 30 in 2020 to back up to 80 in 2021. You know, you worry about pitcher arm health. So my guess is that we see the reliever market very, very busy because teams want as much depth as possible. You know, we probably won't see as much in September of these young starters coming up to be relievers or something like that because they didn't pitch last year. Or maybe they only pitched at the alternate training site last year. And maybe they only threw 60 innings there, innings, quote unquote. You know, teams really won't want to run the risk of damaging their you know prized arms, their, their prospect arms. So I think this trade deadline is going to be really, really interesting for a lot of different reasons, just because I think teams are going to be desperate to get pitcher depth in the case of injury, you know, in the case of just, you know, shutting guys down from a workload standpoint, you know, uh, what, what do these teams do when they've got young starting pitchers up at 130, 140 innings numbers they haven't reached since 2018 or 2019, you know, they're not going to push those guys. I don't think. So this trade deadline could be really, really active, but I think for the most part, it will be very active with the reliever market more so than anything else. We already know that Cubs are going to be a seller. That's been talked about already. I think that, you know, the the two weeks after the all-star break that go into the trade deadline are really interesting because teams know this, you know, you're kind of sitting on pins and needles, wondering if your teammates are going to be traded, especially if you've had a core group together for a long time. And now you're kind of aging out of it. You know, we saw the Royals with Alex Gordon and, you know, some of those like when Hosmer left and, and some of those guys where, you know, that was their core group that carried them through the mid 2010s. You get the Cubs now. I mean, they got a World Series with this group, much to my chagrin, of course. But they got a World Series with this group, and now it's over. You know, now Bryant's gone. You know, he will be traded or leave in free agency. Rizzo, same thing. Baez, probably the same thing. So, you know, the business of baseball makes it tough to play the game of baseball when you know that these things are kind of hanging around. So, Usually the buyers kind of get, you know, a little bit of a bump. The sellers, you can kind of see it in the way that they play. Maybe they're not as crisp. Maybe they're not as engaged, all of that. We know the Cubs are going to sell. I've seen rumors that the Indians are going to sell, but they don't have shit to sell. Uh, They could sell Cesar Hernandez, who's having a nice year from a power standpoint. Beyond that, you know, they don't trade away young players. They don't do prospect swaps like what we saw, you know, with uh, Jazz Chisholm and Zach Gallen last year. We, We don't see that from the Indians. So I don't know if we're going to see that this year. I don't know how many teams we'll see that from, but I think this trade deadline is going to be pretty interesting for a variety of different reasons. So just some early thoughts on that. I'll obviously be able to process the trades and the transactions as they take place. But, you know, you always get that first one that kind of sets the market and then you get a little bit better of an idea. I think with the uncertainty of the CBA negotiations, player control, arbitration, all of that, it'll be really interesting to see how these teams set up their thoughts here for 
the trade deadline. Enjoy your relative downtime, everybody. I know that this baseball season is a grind. Uh, it's it's always a tough thing. You know, things with the picks have been going a lot better here with the Daily Article of late. So that's been nice riding into the All-Star break. But take some time to enjoy, man. You know, take the take the wife or the husband out for dinner. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Go out to dinner. You know, uh, remember movie theaters? Those are still a thing. You know, I don't know if there's anything out worth seeing. But, you know, uh, go miniature golfing. Go Go do something here this week that's not worrying about baseball. You know, take your... Take yourself, take your mind away from the grind here, which is what I'm going to try to do, which is why I'm you know, doing power ratings and everything else, trying to look at anything, anything other than Major League Baseball uh, for a little while here over the next few days. And we'll do that on tomorrow's edition of ATS Radio, talking about the Open Championship and some NHL stuff with Brian Blessing. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I will talk to you again tomorrow. And remember that you will never strike out when you're in the betters box.